Welcome to DevOps Accents, a podcast on everything around DevOps, public cloud, and cloud-native topics with your hosts, Pablo, Leo, and Kirill. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new podcast. I, I, I don't know. This is the number 17. Yeah. Yes, I think it's 17. And this time, as you can hear or see, depends where, where you are, uh, Leo is not here. It's not because he's dead. He's still alive. Only thing that he is sick. I don't know how many times he has been sick for this year. Maybe it's the time number 25, 26. Leo, we love you. And today it's only Kirill and me. And <laughs> but not today. <laughs> <laughs> but he's alive, he's still alive. And today we, we are only Kirill and me. So we are missing the moderator. We are missing the person who tell us what to talk about and all these kind of things. So we are going to be alone. And we are going to try to do our best thing. And because we don't have moderator, we are going to start to talk about what we want to talk. So to lost kids. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the first thing that we want to talk is because uh, there is a new dispatch. There is a new article that uh, we write. And I think that it's a super interesting topic because it's something that everyone is talking, not these days, long, long time ago. It's talking about the, you know, all these climate changes, the pollution and all these all these things that are happening in, in the planet Earth. You know, there are people who believe that this is happening. There are people that believe that this is a cycle of the Earth and that this is every whatever number of years this is happening. That, okay, how can you say that it's not raining because here in my city it's raining? Oh, I check in the weather for the last 30 years and it's always the same temperature. Okay. But in whatever point, uh, we want to talk about that. And our point is not to make a something like a a, a political uh, speech is only to talk how the cloud, because the title of the dispatch is called Cloud with CO2. You know, how the cloud computing and how all these tools that we're using today, like WhatsApp, even, you know, uh, Facebook, all these uh, applications seems the most simple that you have in your cell phone because maybe this video game that you're playing in every day is using a, a cloud computing, how this uh, massive amount of cloud computing is generating contamination. And even the, the problem is that the best thing that could happen to to a company is that you spend more and more. And the best thing that could happen to Google Cloud, to Amazon, uh, and check Amazon, how, how good is these days with the stock market. So the best thing that could happen to all these, you know, all these companies is that they are selling more and more and sell means more contamination. So the idea is, what can we do to stop that? You know, or, or what can we do to improve that? Because we are in a point that we cannot say today, no, I, we are not going to to use anymore the, the cloud because I, I think that there is no way back these days. You know, there is no, I don't know, Kirill, what do you think? No, no way back for sure. But okay, I have a point of the CO2 part in the cloud because what I noticed and IWS added the CO2 reports since like a couple of years now. So if you go to your AWS console for the main account, for the management account, yeah. it, there is like a there's a page where you can see emissions. And then it shows you the graph, which basically for if you're working in the EU central region, it always tells you, yeah, maybe five years ago it was bad, but now it's like zero. So you don't generate any CO2. And I think honestly, from the from this perspective, uh, it's having this kind of reports is just the box ticking. Um, <laughs> I had a customer and they, they basically, they were obliged to kind of provide some kind of report on the CO2 emissions. 
And then, you know, it's like, hey, how can we calculate it? Can we do some open source tool? And then, well, Amazon has it. You just go and then you download this report and then ticked the box that your cloud CO2 emissions are zero. And because in that, there is no way you can verify this, these things end to end, right? So Amazon will tell you, yeah, our CO2 emissions are zero. But then you think, okay, yo, what, what does it actually mean? Does it mean that there are like solar panels on top of the whole data center? Or you buy energy from some renewable energy provider in this particular country? Yeah. Or you actually just burn gasoline to power your data center, but then you have some very good <laughs> filtration system, whatever, to make sure emissions are not there. So you don't know, right? They have like how many? 50 readings by now. So it really depends on uh, how they work. From, from, from users of cloud provider, I think it's good if you want to just add on your web pages, like, yes, my infrastructure is CO2 neutral, but there is nothing you can do, right? It's like with your own data, with your own data center, you can do some CO2 reduction because you have a direct influence. Like one of our shared uh, customer in the past, they have the data center here in Munich and they, they can optimize it to be uh, CO2 neutral. But if you're using the cloud, what can you do? Amazon can tell you, yeah, actually your infrastructure reduces the Amazon forest by two square kilometers every day. Uh, plus is the same number of CO2 emissions as one million cars. And uh, okay, yeah, actually, well, you can't do anything about this. It, it's there. You don't have a control because you don't manage data center. You There's a shared responsibility model where the hardware, uh, hypervisors and everything is managed by Amazon. And yeah, you can migrate from Kubernetes to Lambda or vice versa, but it doesn't change anything in the CO2 emissions. Because to, to, to prepare this article, I was, I was reading, you know, I was, I was reading that the 1% of the current emission in 2020, I have no idea to 2021, 2022, 2023, or even so. So the 1% of all the CO2 emissions that are happening in the planet Earth are because data centers. So uh, you can say it's only 1%. And it's a low number, but if you think it's something that is, is growing and growing and growing, and, and, and really day by day, everything, because I remember many years ago when the people were telling, uh, oh, the cloud, the cloud. No, this is something that happened. Now, every organization has something in the cloud. And you can see the numbers with AWS, every quarter report. So they're always growing. So AWS, Azure, uh, uh, Microsoft with uh, with Azure, so AWS, uh, Amazon, and Google, and all of them. So all of them are growing and growing and growing. So that means that day by day, they're going to be also, you know, consuming more and more. So, and, and there is something too that for me is, is important to understand. It's true that it's important to consider that, but we don't need to, to put all the pressure on the, on the, on the person who consume, no? Because I think it's the same thing that when you, you buy a flight ticket, no? And they're telling to you, their company is like Lufthansa. Don't fly. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> they tell you don't fly. No, because there is this thing that like, you should not fly. Like, I think, <laughs> did, did you tell me that in Spain, I think in France, there are no flights inside the country anymore. That the trains are so good, so you can get like from Barcelona to Madrid so fast that there is no sense in having a, an airplane doing this. But it's full of, it's full of airplanes everywhere. Spain to Spain, eh? Ah, okay. But then, then I think it's, it was France. One of the EU countries recently, they changed that like, there are no more flights 
between cities inside the country because it became pointless. And plus, whatever, emissions. No, no, here, here, here is full of, of airplanes, city to city. And even imagine myself, I live in Canarias. So. Of course, there is like no train from Madrid to Africa. Yeah, I understand that. But probably <laughs> the, the train Madrid to Barcelona makes not that much sense today, right? It's just financially and for emissions wise, and actually how much time you spend on commute, there is no reason to fly this way. You, the train is just way better. Completely, completely agree. But, but at the end, is the is the idea of depends of the situation, it depends of the price, depends of the moment, depends where you are living. Uh, I, I understand, but only tell to a company, an airplane company, you cannot put an airplane from Madrid to Barcelona. I think that even this could be against the European laws because you are telling you cannot grow as a company, and this is the problem. Because what I wanted to say before is they are telling to you, for example. Hey, you take this airplane, it's going to be 300, uh, I don't know, the amount of uh, CO2. I, I, I tell him to 300, maybe it's a stupid what I tell him. It's like when you go to Google Flight. And it seems that the guilty person is the one who is buying the ticket. Yeah. So so they, they, they split the, the, the guiltiness between all the buyers. And, and I know that there are people who is suffering for that. And the same thing could happen when... Uh, and go to say this admin or an infra guy or a DevOps is executing a, 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 I don't know, a pull request. Because as soon as you execute git push, all, everything starts to, to work and, and you're consuming and you're spending and you are generating CO2 and, and maybe a little bird is going to die because of your git push. So, and it's not like that. Okay, it's like that, but it's not like that. It's not like uh, there is a cause and a cause and effect. So it's not like I click the button and then the bird that is flying. Yeah. But this is something interesting too because it's it's important to understand that. For me, for me, it's crazy. I think like this is this topic is like it's always one nanometer away from getting political. Yes. Because it's it's important. Like it, as long as you start on a, like you can say yeah, don't fly. Like take a take a train. Okay, let's look at the at the case in Germany. The train Munich to Hamburg is 750 kilometers, something like this. Yeah. If there would be a train that would take me two hours, and it's not against the laws of physics, there, there, there are trains that go with the speed, that takes me in two hours Munich to Hamburg, I, I would take the train. Yes, I would be completely CO2 like negative, etc. But there is no such train. The train takes eight hours for this for this distance, and this train also has a tendency to break, so it can take me 12 hours. And if I fly by train, uh, if I fly by train, if I fly by plane. Oh, imagine. <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> there was like this Jim Button uh, book and I think they had some kind of a flying train, right? No, and if I take the plane, yeah. uh, Munich, Hamburg, it's one hour, 15 minutes. And then, yes, there, there are people who feel guilty for taking the plane, but I have personally zero guilt because I am not building the trains. It's like, I can basically the only reason I can influence is by voting and paying my taxes, but that's it. Uh, in, in the end of the day, I want to have my ten hours of my life back. I don't. I don't want to spend them on the train that is probably like halfway broken. There is no internet uh, because I'm a very limited amount of time on this planet. So I feel always zero guilt for taking the plane if it's if it makes sense for me personally. Munich, Berlin, for example, the train is like four hours, 30 minutes for 600 kilometers. 
for sure, like we discussed the other day uh, in private that uh, it's like going from Madrid to Barcelona. There should be a way better train than there is. But with four hours, it's actually comparable because then with the airplane all door to door, it would take me like three hours because I need to get to the Munich airport, which is like in another country almost distance wise. And then it's three hours against four hours, what four hours in the train I can actually work and then it makes sense. And then I see, like, and I think it should be like this for most people. Like, yes, you, you should not forbid company in Spain to have a flight Madrid-Barcelona, but train is just so much more attractive that I have to imagine majority of people would pick the train only because it's just a better value for money and you get there faster. Yeah, there is, even these days, there is a new number of companies that are introducing more trains, but do you need to, to think, uh, think that in the... In the capacity, because at the end, the problem with the trains is that there is a line. So in the air, you can put 20 airplanes and you can put in, in parallel yeah. and they can fly at the same time. The, the problem with the train is that there is a, a maximum amount of trains because of the speed, because of the tracks that you can put duration uh, upon A to point B. So <clears throat> and this this limit is the, is the main topic because the amount of people that they need to, to fly from the two main capitals in, in a 45 million, so 49 million country, maybe is 200,000 per day. I cannot, but it's a huge number. So at the end, do you need cars? Do you need bus? Do you need train? Do you need airplane? So, and, and even for me, I live in, in an island, so I cannot feel guilty because I take an airplane because the, the, the way to go from my lost island in the middle of Africa to, to Spain, is with a ship is taking five days, four or five days. And I don't want to spend five days in, in a ship. And, and even the train is spending CO2 because it's not, you know, uh, uh, everything at the end is contaminating the, the, the planet. But okay, backing again to the, to the application, backing again to the data center, I think that is, is, is very important this point because uh, we need to, to try to to fix that, and this is, for example, is is one of the reasons because as less the company spend, is going to be better for them first economically, and it's going to be better for them in in this uh, ecologically way too. Because at the end, as, as less they are spending, uh, and, and we have a very good audits in capture reduction for the cloud, so as, as less they spend, it's going to be much much better. But we have the enemy on top. And the enemy on top is the same guy who is giving to you the tools to use. In this case, it's the cloud companies, whatever cloud company, because as much money you spend in the cloud, they are going to be more happy. The stock uh, owners are going to be more happy and everyone is going to be happy. So then they're giving to you nice tools to see how much CO2 you spend. But at the same time, they're telling to the third party vendors, whatever provider, Cloud to everyone is telling you need to make that this customer spend more and you need to do the test with huge machines. And if you can use GPU, use huge amount of GPUs. So do everything that you can do because I want you to spend billions. So and so at the end, it's something like a, a magic trick, no? So yeah, take care. But, but the good thing is just in case of AWS, I'm not sure if Google is already doing this. Okay, first of all, every cloud is elastic, right? So you can basically adjust your, how many resources you have based on the time of the day, based on the load. So then your, I don't know, like if it's correct, say it's like your carbon footprint, if that's applicable here. I don't think actually it makes real difference because in the end, the server on Amazon site is already there. But 
let's say if you use less compute resources in AWS, then some, somehow carbon footprint of the data center also goes down. And every cloud is like this. So you can basically not run any workloads at night or on the weekend in your different staging, and then it, it goes down. The second thing is that what Amazon is doing since, I don't know, like three, four years, they, they create their own processors. So like Apple has this Apple Silicon for consumer computers. Uh, Amazon has this Graviton processors, which are IRM chips. Uh, and these IRM chips, they, what's good about them, they're cheaper. Uh, they are faster for many, if not most, workloads, but they also consume way less energy. So kind of AWS replaces slowly everything with this uh, with the Graviton processors, which is really good. It's really good for them because they control the production and they reduce their cost because it's their own chips. You don't need to buy anything from Intel long term. Probably they need to do it for like for another 20 years, but it's the same direction Apple is going. Uh, just for Apple, it's probably easier than for AWS. Uh, and then you as a customer also win because you have get something better for less money and humanity wins because it consumes less energy. Because the problem is the, in case of data center, is electricity you have to measure. Yes, there are these generators with diesel that kind of, in case there is like power grid outage, uh, but in general, it's data center is connected to electrical grid. And then the question is, where does the electrical grid get electricity from? Yeah. But the, the, the main point is that uh, I was thinking now, because I remember the, the numbers, you know, a internet today, the amount of... Uh, of info that we have in internet today is 100 petabytes, and we need to understand that the petabyte is is the the mega, the giga, the tera, the peta, the exa, and then goes the theta. So, and if you compare the amount of petabytes that it was something like five years ago, ten years ago, with the amount of that we have today, is so. What I mean is that this is not going to stop. So, at the end, as you can reduce the computing, but at the end you can reduce everything, but there will be a fight because I think that the best way to see that is something that we can, okay, I don't know if we can see that, is the the power of invoices for these companies. How much do they spend in, in power? You know, because this is the, the big number. There are no challenges that we couldn't overcome. Whether it is immediate infrastructure problems or planning a future project, we won't simply answer your questions. We become a part of your team to help you complete the mission. Our solutions consider the interests of your business and the combined expertise of the industry as our staff is made up of more than a dozen experts in different areas who share decades of field-tested experience and knowledge with you. Changing the subject, Kirill, uh, we were talking the other day and you were telling that you, you, you were working with something in something new in, in AWS with Landas. Could, could you explain that, please? Because you were explaining something and it was super interesting. It's not entirely new. I was just involved in the last couple of weeks in a project that had a lot to do with optimizing Lambda functions. Mm -hmm. And because like in previous couple of years, I was primarily focused on Kubernetes and optimizing Kubernetes clusters and building some of Kubernetes. But now again, like I was deeply involved with Lambda functions. And what I realized once again is that it's really easy to start with, what is Lambda? Okay, so there, there's, it's really truly serverless offering from AWS because now there really is lots of things they call serverless, but then it costs minimum 1K per month, even if you don't choose it. So mm -hmm. not really serverless. But Lambda is serverless because you have inputs, your code is executed and you pay uh, per millisecond of execution time. 
And when your code is finished, you pay nothing. And then it's really easy to scale out because, you know, if you have if you have one event, there's like only one Lambda execution. If you have suddenly 10 million events, it's okay for Lambda because it just transparently processes all of these events and you don't need to think about it, which is super cool. And it's uh, it's something that exists since like almost 10 years now. It's nothing, it's nothing new, but it doesn't make it less cool because it's also one of the most widely used service function services. And it's crazy how good it works and how much it scales. Uh, but what I realized is there are some really tricky things about optimizing Lambda because, first of all, when you execute Lambda function, it's not like there is still some server behind it, right? And the way it works is that when you first execute Lambda function, there is this cold start because AWS needs to like create a micro VM. I think they use this Firecracker, I think, even though I'm confused like how the hell it's so fast because Firecracker is fast, but it, it's not as fast as Lambda. But okay, let's say they create a Firecracker micro VM and then this micro VM exists for a bit longer than your code is being executed. So if you have three events incoming, then they will be processed by the same uh, micro VM. So somewhere inside AWS data center, there is still a server that processes your request more or less. Uh, of course, it's more complicated by this, but not every Lambda function execution is completely isolated from each other. They need to warm, warm it out somehow. The problem comes when you create as I said, like 10 million uh, executions at the same time. Because when you have such a huge spike, and let's say it takes maybe like five seconds for each Lambda execution to be processed, then a single micro VM cannot process 10 million uh, requests at the same time. It's, it's still busy processing the previous execution. So what AWS does, it creates another Lambda, and another micro VM, and then another one, another one, just to handle this load. And it creates still the quarter limit you have by default, which is 1,000 concurrent executions per region. You can increase it to tens of thousands uh, per AWS, but by default it's 1,000. So which means if you have lots of different Lambda functions, one of the Lambda functions gets like 10 million requests, uh, it can basically consume this whole concurrency limit that you have, and all the Lambdas in your AWS account uh, in the region gets throttled because they would say like, yeah, there is not enough concurrency available because for other Lambda, there is basically no space to create this micro VM to process requests, um, which is a problem. And that's, I think one of this, like when you reach a certain scale, that's when you realize, okay, actually Lambda is, is magical, but it's not entirely magical. There are still micro VMs, there is still concurrency. You still need to understand how the flow is looking like with this init phase, the code execution phase, and this warming up stuff. So then, um, one issue is this limit, which as I said, like you can increase, you can say, AWS, please let me run like 20,000 concurrent lambdas at the same time to handle these kind of spikes. But no matter how high is the limit, you still have the issue with the noisy neighbors, let's say, because imagine you have 500 lambdas in your applications, and then one of them consumes all the limit, uh, and then some really critical Lambda function gets throttled. So to handle this, Amazon has a feature called um, reserved concurrency, where you basically say, please reserve for this Lambda function 50 of concurrency. So then AWS guarantees that it will not be throttled. There are always 50 uh, executions available just for this Lambda. Yeah. Now the problem is that these 50 are consumed from this pool of max concurrent execution per region. So you have 1,000 by default, 
you reserve, let's say, 100 for particular lambda, which means for all the other lambda... So you had 900. Yes, for all the other lambdas, you have only 900 now. And this is somehow like, you think, okay, now I'm entering this stage where I'm actually doing some kind of capacity management for lambdas because I need to look at the metrics. Uh, there is a metric for concurrency, how many concurrent executions are happening. And you see, okay, this lambda usually consumes like 20 maximum, so I need to reserve 20 for this and then 50 for this, and then you basically allocate uh, reserve concurrency for every lambda function you have to make sure that none of them is getting throttled. Um, which is kind of, you know, like with Kubernetes, when you think something magical is happening for you, but in the end, the phys like physical reality hits you and you need to manage these kind of things. Yeah. And then there is something else. There are cold stars, as I said. So the Lambda function is basically, uh, when you don't execute it, it doesn't exist. There is no micro-VM. First time you execute it, there is some warm-up time, uh, which is especially annoying when you use Lambda to behind some HTTP synchronous uh, API gateway. You don't want to have like these cold stars. So then there is another feature in Lambda called uh, provisioned, uh, provisioned capacity, concurrency. I forgot the word. Yeah, provisioned concurrency which says, at any given time, please keep one micro VM for me so that there is no cold start. So AWS kind of warms up your Lambda function, does this in initialization phase, and then in the end, there is a micro VM always listening. Can you pay for this time when it's provisioned? You don't pay the same amount of money as you would pay for the execution of the code, so it's still like super cheap. But, you know, now you basically have to think, oh, well, my serverless function actually needs to be a bit less serverless and exist all the time because I execute this Lambda function uh, behind API trigger from the browser and then my front end will have this cold starts. Uh, so you need to, yeah, make sure that there is this pre-warmed up Lambdas during some times of the day. And that's another thing you need to handle. Then, even more interesting part is the Lambda... Uh, resources, because in Lambda you configure how much memory is allocated to the Lambda function, and you pay per per gigabyte per millisecond. So let's say if you, if you allocate one gigabyte of memory to a Lambda, uh, you pay, let's say, two bucks per millisecond. If you allocate 500 megabytes, one bucks. Of course, it's not two bucks, it's like zero point and then zero, 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 like one millionth of a cent. But performance of your Lambda function depends also on compute power, which you never configure. And it happens kind of, it, it, it's invisible to you. You say like, I need three gigabytes of RAM. And then it is like, okay, for three gigabytes of RAM, internally, we allocate this number of CPU resources. So, you know, maybe you don't need so much RAM, but you need to have this powerful computation capacity. So you have to over-provision on the RAM. Yeah. And you don't really know what the performance of your Lambda function will be. So you need to kind of, experiment. There is, for example, this AWS uh, Lambda power tuning, which is an open source tool that executes your Lambda functions with different configurations and gives you a visual, like, a graph telling, like, okay, with three gigabytes of RAM, it will take one second to process request. And then with one gigabyte of RAM, it will take four seconds. And then you calculate, like, okay, four seconds x one gigabyte is actually more expensive than one second x three gigabyte, so I will use this configuration, which is you know, once again, serverless, but it needs to think about these kind of things like memory and RAM, right? once again, and calculate them properly. Because at the end, 
the physical part, as you said before, is there. You know, and and when you execute one lambda or one club function with one, is something like magical, no? It's something like uh, the Harry Potter is using this word. And do it, yeah, like you never see any server. It's just like oh, like I, I just execute the code and I pay it per millisecond. Yes, <laughs> of per millisecond of gigabyte of RAM. But once you move to production, to real case scenarios, you you hit this kind of limitations. Yes, and, you and there are many things. Sorry, you discovered that Harry Potter is not there. It's, it's a it's a physical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That it's still it's just an abstraction on top of micro VMs running on top of probably bigger. VMs, I don't think it runs on bare metal, which runs on the bare metal machines in AWS data center, which is powered by electricity grid, which is powered by who knows what, uh, <laughs> gas, uh, coal, like now in Germany, atomic energy, etc. So physical world is still there. And there are many things like this in Lambda. It's like, I don't want to sp like spend all of our time on this. I just one more example. So I want to provide is SQS. So one of the event triggers for Lambda could be an SQS queue. So as long as there is a so SQS is the simple queue service, it just it contains messages and you can process messages with Lambda. Mm -hmm. So as long as there is a new message in SQS, Lambda functions automatically take this message and processes it. So what happens if you have suddenly, um, imagine for your Lambda function, you said reserved um, concurrency 20, meaning uh, beyond 20 executions, it will be throttled. So the way AWS Lambda SQS integration worked till 2023 is that if you have suddenly 1 million messages in SQS, Lambda service, not Lambda function, but Lambda service, because there is some glue code between your Lambda function and SQS, which is like this handle uh, Lambda control plane, mm -hmm. it pulls lots of lots of messages. There are 20 concurrent executions, and then your Lambda function gets throttled, but the Lambda service keeps pulling messages. And then there is nothing, there is nothing to process these messages. So they end up like they return to the queue. They like, yes, they won't be lost, but they get in return to the queue or they will be sent to dead letter queue. Yeah. And then you have, you have like 1 million messages in the letter queue and they need to redrive or do something else with them. Uh, why? Because that's how it's implemented. And in 2023, what AWS did, they released something called max concurrency for SQS Lambda. So in addition to <laughs> max concurrency, provision concurrency for, sorry, not provision, but the reserved concurrency for a Lambda function, you also said max concurrency for this SQS queue. And the way it works is, the it's, it's how it should work. You said max concurrency for SQS is 30, so it takes 30 messages and it does not try to pull more. Okay. So there is no throttling and there is no failed message processing, which is like, but how come it's only 2023 that it's been released? <laughs> and and uh, I was discussing with um, one of uh, one of the senior engineers from one of our customers that basically you cannot just use this reserved concurrency for SQS max concurrency because Lambda function can be triggered in many ways. So you cannot just say use this 20 for SQS because there could be five queues attached to single lambda it could be like two queues kinesis stream dynamo db stream sn etc so it's great like i was just thinking a lot about this in last weeks because i had to optimize a lot of this in terms of how many gigabytes of memory in the reserve computer etc and it's like yeah once you get closer to production once your application grows it gets quite tricky and the gigabyte thing is important because if you over provision gigabytes for a lambda function 
you overpay. Yeah. Maybe you don't pay crazy amount of money, like with Kubernetes nodes or with whatever RDS, but still you pay more than you should because you over-provisioned something serverless. Instead of paying only for megabytes of memory that your Lambda used, you always pay for how much you provision for the Lambda function. No, but it's what you said, because at the end, if you execute one Lambda, it's not a problem, but if you need to execute one million of Lambdas in one month, and you over-provision for four gigs when you need to have only two gigs. And as you were telling, because in Google it's the same, the, the CPUs is compound, is joined with the memory, so you cannot tell, I want to have 256 gigs, but only one CPU, and I'm going to tell you, no, sorry. This this is a, a joint venture, because at the end, the, the way that they have is the, okay, in, in the in the hardware, you know, the CPUs are connected with the slot of the, the memory, so all, all go pack, so you cannot go, you cannot separate that. But but it, it, it's true because, for example, in Google Cloud, uh, in Cloud Function, the maximum concurrency is 1,000. But uh, at the end, it's the same problem everywhere because, you know, what happens if you have a, a huge environment? And, and and then maybe it's not better. So it's better to have something different to these lambdas because, you know, it, it, this is not working for you if you are a, a monster, you know, because... Imagine something like Netflix, uh, that they need to have millions and millions of users at the same time. You know, they, they need to think something different and how to work with that. The the last point that we are going to, to talk today, okay, less or maybe not, because we still have time, because we need to end today a bit early, because we have something else to do. Uh, <laughs> the last point is what we are going to do, you know, is we're talking these days uh, what we are going to, to plan to do for the, the third quarter. Okay, the fourth quarter, sorry for that, of 2024 is third economical, fourth quarter to 2023. Uh, and, and, you know, what, what our expectation as, as NKD, what our, our plans, what we want to do, what we want to, to do, you know, what are the, you know, the plans. Because one of our plans is, as maybe you know, we're going to be in London, in the DevOps days in London. This is one of our plans. We are going to be, we're going to be traveling to, to Barcelona too. We're going to be traveling to, to Berlin. And, and maybe, you know, maybe it's another, other, other trip. So the, the idea is, you know, to talk here how, how difficult or how easy it is for a, for a company like, like NKDF, you know, uh, a company that is, is growing day by day, you know, because we are getting more and more customers and day by day we are bigger and bigger. So how easy or how complicated, I think it's complicated more than easy to try to, to do all these kind of trips, at least for, for Kirill and me, because, you know, we, we are living in different cities, but okay, we talk each other sometimes more than we, we, we wanted to talk. <laughs> We are sometimes like sometimes. A, yes, like a old marriage, you know, these 80 old years guys that are living in a house and they're never leaving the house and they are, <laughs> and, you're very bad, you're a bad person, I hate you. But okay, uh, at the end, I love this guy, but okay. So, but the, the idea is to explain how, how difficult could be, you know, to be in one place and another and to meet a customer and to try to get another customer and to try to meet another person and, and to know, because... When you, you are in a company of, imagine, 100 people, uh, 1,000 people, everything is compartmented, you know? You have a guy who is going to go to trip. You have a guy who is going to call the customers. You have a guy, uh, when I say guy, it's guy, lady, or whatever, you know? Don't feel bad. But okay, in whatever case, uh, checking the audience, I think that 99% of the people who hear us are 
male, no woman. So, okay. Hello to the woman that is giving to us. <laughs> we, we want to know about you. So one of our mothers. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's my, no, I don't think that is my mother. Maybe it's just kidding. <laughs> we never know. But okay. There is a woman hearing us every week. We love you. So, and, and, and then it's when, when you're in this kind of company that you need to do many, many, many things. Even we have a lawyer here because he, he was this week, he was working like a lawyer. So it, it's complicated. What, what do you think, Kirill, about that? What is, what is your point? I think it is complicated. It's it's complicated in in two ways uh, because okay, as a as a DevOps guys, because still right, like both you and I, we are pretty much hands on, and we still are involved technically as technical experts in all the projects. So and there are always a lot lots of things to learn in in this space. Like what I was just telling, like in case of Lambda. Even if I know Lambda pretty well, if I did not work with this one year, I need to get up to speed with all the, because Amazon releases like 200 new features per day. <laughs> and then on top of this, as a, as a business owner, as co-founders, we have to day to day learn many, many things about non-technical stuff, like legal and law and do the contract stuff and then find out how you should automate signatures, collecting signatures for the contracts and then how to do conferences and like this billion things that you always have to basically find the balance, right? Because uh, in, in my case, I have still, I'm still passionate about technology. I still want to know what's happening. I still want to be at the, as good as possible in this expertise of mine, which is technical, but then I need to sacrifice some percentage of this to do things that are non-technical at all. And things that I will never be really good at because I, I will never be a good lawyer. Let's, let's admit it. Not, <laughs> not, 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 not in Germany. Like I, I, lo I lost this race just by being born in another country. So maybe and here you can be a good lawyer. You never know. <laughs> yes. But then I have to probably like quit MKD for everything else and refocus for the next 15 years <laughs> and, and learn German on the lawyer level. Because right now my German is like a, immigrant developer level probably still with passport <laughs> yeah well, which difference does that make especially with the upcoming changes in germany in terms of language tests <laughs> no but 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 it's true and and, and it's, it, it's it's difficult because you know every, every one of us loves to do something and you need to do what you love plus something that you don't love and and this is happening always you know because uh <laughs> You, you need to be technical, but you need to be, you need to make interviews, but you need to, to go with customers. For example, this is something that I like, but you, you need to, to have a dinner, but you need to, to make a trip, but you need to, and then uh, the, this kind of thing that I, I said that for the people that they want to be, for example, an entrepreneur and they want to start a company, you know, uh, it, it's something cool, but sometimes there are many, many things that are not cool. You know, and, and it's tired and, and take more, more hours than what you can imagine, you know, really, because it's a, it's not a full time, it's a double full time job, you know, and, and it's tired. At least. And I think one of the, one of the things for me personally is that you have to give up a lot of your deep work time because actually like I'll have a fantastic segue to what you've been working on Pablo recently. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because. Wait for this, because for, for me, 
what I really enjoy is to be able to focus on really deep work when I'm like I'm doing science for three, four hours, like writing an article. If you see, I didn't write that many articles in the last two years for MKDF because writing a good technical article takes forever. Working on a video, working on a script is a five, six hours of really deep work, doing experiments, reading, writing. And as an entrepreneur, uh, especially at the early stages, you have a, quite a decreased amount of deep work because you just have to do everything. You would start writing a script and then 30 minutes, ah, like we have this meeting, we have this interview, we need to fix this contract, <laughs> we need to approve the content, we need to do some changes for another piece of content we did for the customer. It's, it's, it's like there are many things that you have to do and because of this, it's really hard to find uh, an uninterrupted block of time for a particular thing for the company. I'm not talking about working for the customer because for customers, for sure, like it's, I think we always, we must have time and we do find time. But this MKDF related work is very uh, fractured in time. <laughs> uh, and the reason I was telling it's a good segue to what you've been working on is because Pablo was working on a new webinar <laughs> about, what is it about Pablo? Can you tell us about it? it the webinar is about how you can connect a cloud run Okay, I'm going to say public or private because Cloud Run is always a public Cloud Run connected with an SQL private and an SQL public. And as you can say, this is simple, but okay, in, in Cloud SQL and Google Cloud Story is, is super complex because when you do with a private Cloud SQL, you need to use uh, two components, a VPC, uh, okay, a serverless connector. And then from the other side, in the side of the database, you need to use a, a VPC peering with a range that is connected for the peering. And what Kitty is telling that is I'm preparing this uh, webinar for I don't know how long, <laughs> maybe months. But the problem is that I never had time because, but th this morning what I made is I wake up six, six o'clock in the morning. I put my alarm because I say I, I had to record the podcast today. I, I need to do things with, uh, with a new customer. I have to do many things and I'm not going to have time. So, but this is the problem. I wake up super early and at the end when I recorded the webinar, I said, <laughs> I had to turn to Kirill because <laughs> he's pushing me with this webinar for for months. And it's not weeks, it's months. <laughs> but was the same as my webinar. So we have a webinar about um, AWS load balancer controller for Kubernetes. Yeah. It's like 45 minutes long. And, and really it took me up to like six months to get to the stage that it's published. And not because it takes lots of time to record 45 minutes, it's just still the preparation and finding this block of time. Because imagine, we are making videos every every week, right? So every week we release a new video on our amazing YouTube channel. So then fitting a webinar into it, it's pretty hard. But from my side, it's also something that I enjoy doing this kind of content and putting it out to the world is amazing. Sorry to but the problem with the webinar is that there is no cut. So you need to speak 45 minutes with no cuts. And you said, okay, you made a podcast, you're speaking two hours, one hour every day. You, you're getting, no, but it's different because you need, you need to prepare a video that the, the people follow with a flow to don't say, I'm going to leave this right. thing because it's super bored, you know? And, and, and then it's, it's difficult because, and you cannot make a mistake. And it's educational. Yes. And even that educational and, and not make a mistake. So what I had to prepare is the exercises. Repeat it several times, repeat, repeat, repeat until the, the, the webinar is, is okay. So, you know, it, it, I, I was thinking at the beginning when I was started, ah, stupid thing, webinar. 
<laughs> kad uradim to nešto. <laughs> e, but okay, no. It was, it was not true, Pablo. Yeah, took me months. But it's there. And maybe we'll be releasing... Okay, is there. I need to edit the video. I will do this this evening. But okay, I will send to Leo, to, Leo to Alex this. To, and, and we can release in next week or in two weeks, whatever time is okay. It's going to be all over our social networks and dispatch. Yes. Our bi-weekly newsletter. Yeah, we, we miss you, Leon, because this is your time. Now is when you, te- you need to tell. Please subscribe we just, to our channels. We are in... Sorry, no, we just like... <laughs> <laughs> we just spent like 10 minutes bitching about how, how much we work without Leon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now we also have to moderate the podcast man, ourselves. What the Leo, What is please. the next thing, Leo? Come on. <laughs> One last announcement, because I forgot to talk about it at, at the start, because you said that we are doing this cloud cost audits yeah. for our customers. Mm-hmm. Recently, we published a case study about how we perform such an audit for one of our customers, Kiwi. Yeah. So Kiwi is the company that is making digital lock solution for housing in Germany. It's a kind of market leader in building these digital locks that residents can unlock with the smartphone, with the, with the transponder, mm-hmm. and offer like the whole solution for the housing companies. And we did a cloud cost audit for them and collaborated with them to publish the results of this. Uh, not all the results, but how much we saved um, and what exactly we found. So it's it's published on our website and it will, at the moment when you are listening to it, it will be also probably in MKDF Dispatch and all our social networks. And we always try to make these case studies useful and interesting, not just to be promotional material. So I, I highly recommend reading this, even though for sure we are biased here, recommending anything we publish. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening to us, really. It was a pleasure. I'm going to put Radio Voice now to say bye. So it, it was a pleasure to be with all of you. Uh, we miss you a lot, Leo. Maybe next time you will be here, I hope. Don't forget to watch our YouTube videos. Don't forget to read our uh, dispatch and enjoy that we are in summer. See you next time. Adios. The cloud tech industry is evolving so fast. Do you keep up with it by improving your skills or upskilling your team? At MKDev, we offer a variety of workshops for just that, from the basics to expert knowledge. Before delivering our workshops and training sessions, we carry out a detailed assessment of each participant. To make sure the workshop is helpful for you and your team, we will add more content to it or throw out what you already know or we create a custom workshop specifically for the needs of your team and the specifics of your project.